All right. Today's a strange one because I'm preaching about things that are outside of Scripture, outside of the era of Scripture, I should say. Still biblical stuff. Um, but we're finally we're going to move into the early church. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and gifts in the very, uh, what they call the patristic age. Patristic is a word that comes from Latin for father. So they're, they're talking the, the church fathers. So we're going we're gonna to look at those, those church fathers. And uh, we're not going to, again, it's, gonna be, it's going to be trying to be focused on Holy Spirit with these church fathers and not really get into a whole biography of all these church fathers and what they helped us with theologically and how we benefit from that today. I tried to pick ones that were uh, that were kind of seen as as fathers over over all of Christianity. Um, the Catholics would like them. The Eastern Orthodox would like them. The Protestants would like them. They're all good with all that stuff. And these are these are before we split, so we don't really have a split in Christianity at this time. We'll get to that today when we start having our splits, and I'm going to kind of talk about. Holy Spirit and unity at the end is kind of how we'll, we'll finish it because uh, it's only gotten worse with splits as we've gone through thousands of years. Um, so, so let's start with a quick review um, from last week where we ended. We had gone through all of the Old Testament into the New Testament. We had seen that the work of the Holy Spirit, he's doing the same thing throughout um, the entire book. There's, it's cohesive. It sounds and feels like he is doing the same thing when we read it. Um, we looked at him continuing to bring creative solutions, helping us um, combating against depravity and sin. We talked a little bit about Galatians 5, Fruit of the Spirit. So we're going to do further study on the Fruit of the Spirit. Um, we talked about Holy Spirit as the empowered helper, serving, exhorting, helping, giving, um, teaching and leading through the office of apostle, pastor, teacher, administration. Um, pointed people to the Messiah through the use of tongues of other languages, teaching, evangelism, all the different gifts that get brought up in the, in the, the letters of Paul and of Peter. Um, counselor bringing peace with faith, healing, and mercy. Helped those to prophesy with, with the gift of prophecy, discernment, words of knowledge and of wisdom, interpreting tongues to brought it all together, the same stuff that he was doing the whole time. And we just looked at that, and we're going to look at those uh, again. We're going to look at some of those as, as single gifts later. And I just want to say that that's, that's a large list of gifts up there. There's a lot of things the Holy Spirit does in believers and with believers partnering. And sometimes we get really caught up, especially looking at that teaching leading line where people feel like that's, that's the end of teaching, teaching leading and that's not it. That's not it. We, we need it all. This is not an importance list. And I just hope that when people look at the gifts, you try to get out of a mindset. Sometimes with the Western mindset, we say certain gifts seem to be more critical or certain gifts seem to take more, so therefore they're worth more. And uh, I just don't, I don't believe that that's the case. I believe that all of these are needed. And I think that we're on equal grounds with, with serving in these gifts. And... Uh, I know there are, there are more days that I need some exhorting in my life as opposed to some teaching in my life. And 
And when we start looking at these and start looking at these as gifts that we have to give to others, it's all there. It's one, it's one giant bundle. Let's not emphasize putting these into different categories. It's just a way of listing it. So, so if you think you have some of these gifts, as we begin to talk about these gifts and you want to look more into these gifts, I'd encourage you to do it. Um, but jump into the patristic age. So this is going to kind of feel like a little bit of a history class today. Just a touch. Hopefully not too much. Unless you like history, and then maybe it is good. But The patristic age is classified as the time between the death of the apostles and either 451 AD or 787 AD. Scholars debate back and forth when they believe that it ended. Kind of depends on your, your opinion of certain parts of the church. Um, I'm more interested in getting to that era up to 325. 325 is where you start getting some splits in the church, and then you can get into some really specific things. But I just want to look at what, what was the Holy Spirit doing before man started institutionalizing the church. Um, and where I'm going to focus today is not on the theology proper of the era. We might mention some stuff, but I just want to look at firsthand accounts of how Holy Spirit was still moving and... Um, Maybe some of the theology around the Holy Spirit, but not like we're not going to go through the Trinity today. We're not going to talk about Jesus being God and man and the thoughts that, that started coming about with that. That's not where we're going. You could spend, I mean, there's people that take classes, entire semesters, learning this stuff. And this is just really quick looking at work of Holy Spirit. Uh, the first one we're going to talk about, we'll jump right in, is a guy named Justin the Martyr. Uh, Justin the Martyr is an interesting guy. He comes shortly after the death of the apostles. He's one of the first, um, he's one of the first influential Christian thinker writers with theology, and uh, he is a saint for the Catholics. He's a saint for the Eastern Orthodox, and we still value his writings today, even if we don't, we're not into the saints. Um, and he's considered the most important Christian father of the early second century. He was a Greek convert to Christianity. Um, he's highly educated in Greek thought and philosophy. He was actually a philosopher when he, that was his goal in life. And uh, he just loved that thinking in the deep. And that's where he was going. He was fully trained in philosophy and all the different Greek schools of philosophy. And um, he was traveling one day and he just met this old Syrian Christian dude who was talking to him and was bringing on, like, this is, hey, this is what I believe with our forefathers, the prophets, and this is where I was going. And the words of that old Syrian dude changed Justin Martyr's life. And uh, Justin Martyr became a believer in Christ. And he believed that the words of the prophets were more true than the philosophers. And the rest is history. He ends up realizing that we're, we're an early we're in early steps of our religion, and he, he boldly creates his own philosophy school in Rome to teach Christianity, and he also began to focus on educating slaves, too. And the teaching of Christianity and the education of slaves ended up costing him his head. So he went to the capital, and he really attacked it, and he was having a very successful time teaching and ministering in Rome. And he paid the price with getting his head chopped off as do most of these people that we talk about. Eventually, they all end up getting their heads chopped off or burnt or seems to be what happened. And uh, 
he's got some really early writings. So at this point, we're talking, we're talking in the, the, the first half of the second century. We're talking between 100 and 150 AD. And I just took quotes from the different writings. Again, we're not going to spend a lot of time on each of these people. In a dialogue with Trypho, he said, For the prophetic gifts remain with us even to the present time. The Spirit continues to impart gifts of grace to those who believe in him, according as he deems each man worthy thereof. And that now it is possible to see among us women and men who possess gifts of the Spirit of God. Another quote. And now, this is where he's, he's talking to some pagan stuff too. And now you can learn this through your own observation for numberless demoniacs throughout the whole world and in your city, many of our Christian men exercising them in the name of Jesus Christ, who was crucified under Pontius Pilate, have healed and do healed and render, rendering helpless and driving the possessing devils out of men, though they could not be cured by all other exorcists and those who used incantations and drugs. So at this point in the world, they're still trying to deal with demons. <laughs> in the inflictions of demons in, in a lot of different cultures, not just Christianity trying to take care of them. But you get to see that you know they were trying to use spells to get rid of demons. They were trying to use pharmaceuticals to get rid of demons. And it was the power of Christ active in that time, getting rid of the demonic. Another quote of his, Therefore, just as God did not inflict his anger on account of those 7,000 men, even so, he has now neither yet inflicted judgment nor does inflict it, knowing that daily some of you are becoming disciples in the name of Christ, and quitting the path of error, who are also receiving gifts, each as he is worthy, illumined through the name of this Christ. For one receives the spirit of understanding, another of counsel, another of strength, another of healing, another of foreknowledge, another of teaching, and another of the fear of God. So here we are, 50 years past the apostles. It sounds like that list that we've been looking at. It still continues on. Uh, For the prophetical gifts remain among us, even to the present. And hence, you ought to understand that the gifts formerly among your nations have been transferred to us. So here he's talking about the prophets of the different gods. He's still in this Greek environment. He's still talking to the ancient Near East. You have the beliefs in the the different spiritual beings. And... uh, And just as there were false prophets contemporaneous with your holy prophets, so are there now many false teachers among us, of whom our Lord Lord forewarned us us to beware, so that in no respect are we deficient, since we know he foreknew all that would happen to us after his resurrection and from the dead and the ascension to heaven. So this this is just confirming what Christ was preaching about. There's going to be a rise up of these false prophets. And uh, so the prophecy is still going, and he's saying there's still those that are on, that are holy, and there are those that are, are false. So that's Justin the Martyr, and just some quotes from him. And to keep it moving, we're going to move on to Arrhenius. Um, he's considered the most important church father of the late second century, also given sainthood by the Catholics and the Eastern Orthodox. Um, born a Greek in Turkey, he was raised in a Christian home. And this was interesting because a lot of these guys are, are converts where he was actually, so he's a second generation Christian. Um, and he had seen and learned from a dude named Polycarp. And Polycarp had been a follower of John. So Polycarp sat under John the Apostle and learned right from John. And Arrhenius learned right from Polycarp. So we're still, we're still just generations away from the Apostles. Um, he spent most of his time writing against Gnosticism, and we've talked about Gnosticism a little bit before, so I'm not going to focus a lot on it here. But in the, in the 
the fight against Gnosticism, he had to clear up some theology. So he's got a lot of uh, very nice theological points and teachings that the early church needed at the time and that we still, we still use and, and think about today. Um, his first book against the heresies was addressing the Valentinian Gnosticism, um, which was said to have been started by Simon the Sorcerer. So do you guys remember Simon the Sorcerer from the New Testament? And he doesn't really get what he wants from the apostles, and he's kind of, oh, he's kind of angry with that in the Simon and the Sorcerer, Simon the Sorcerer story. Um, he starts his own little sect of Christianity that, that, that becomes false and very, uh, very magical, I guess. And when I looked into it, it, it was just at its roots, basic Gnosticism. You've got you to come with us to learn the secrets, and we're always getting revealed more secrets, and you're not reading this right. And it was that type of thing. Um, so if you want to read about Simon the Sorcerer, you can go into your New Testament, and the uh, apostles have to deal with Simon. He created his own thing. Irenaeus is trying to combat the damage that some of that's doing. He releases five books about Christian thought in effort to combat the heresy. He also dies a martyr. Um, large quote from him talking about the gifts. Those who are in truth Jesus' disciples receiving grace from him do in his name perform miracles so as to promote the welfare of other men according to the gift which each one has received from him. For some do certainly and truly drive out devils, so that those who have been cleansed from the evil spirits frequently both believe in Christ and join themselves to the church. Others have foreknowledge of things to come. They see visions and utter prophetic expressions. Others still heal the sick by laying their hands upon them, and they are made whole. Yea, moreover, as I have said, the dead even have been raised up and remained among us for many years. And what shall I say more? It is not possible to name the number of the gifts which the church, scattered throughout the whole world, have received from God in the name of Jesus Christ, who was crucified under Pontius Pilate, and which she exerts day by day for the benefit of the Gentiles, neither practicing this deception upon any, nor taking any reward from them on account of such miraculous interpositions. For as she has received freely from God, freely also does she minister to the others." So he's just given another rundown of all these things that we've been talking about. So this is like the next 50 years kind of after Justin the Martyr that he's talking about this. So we've got this continuation going on. Um, another, another quote from him, For this reason does the apostle declare, We speak wisdom among them that are perfect. Terming those who have received the Spirit of God and who through the Spirit of God do speak in all languages. So there, the use of the, the, the tongues speaking the different languages. As he used himself is also, also to speak. In like manner, we do hear many brethren in the church who possess prophetic gifts and who through the Spirit speaks all kinds of languages and brings to light for the general benefit the hidden things of men and declare the mysteries of God, whom also the apostle termed spiritual. They being spiritual because they partake of the Spirit and not because their flesh has been stripped off and taken away and because they have become purely spiritual. So here he's talking about these people that they want to become spiritual and that they think that it's all spirit and there's no body left to this life and therefore it's all about just being spiritual and forget the day-to-day, which you still, we still get that once in a while. You meet those people that like are, is it possible for you to do much for the kingdom because you live inside your spirit world head and... Uh, 
So he's having an issue with that. But then again, just, just going through, here are these gifts that are still existing. Uh, then another one. Nor does the church perform anything by means of angelic invocations or by incantations or by any other wicked, curious art, but directing her prayers to the Lord who made all things in a pure, sincere, and straightforward spirit. In calling upon the name of Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, she has been accustomed to work miracles for the advantage of mankind and not to lead them in error. So again, he's combating the different forms of paganism and witchcraft that's going on, the people that will pray to angels to make things, have these angels come in and do things for them. Again, the incantations and spells. So he's, he's just putting the church at odds, saying, hey, this is all coming from the Spirit. We're not tapping into that stuff. Some people are tapping into this stuff. But the Holy Spirit is still doing this. The next one is Tertullian. Tertullian does not get to become a saint for either, even though they keep his teachings. Tertullian's the guy that really coins Trinity for the first time in history. And we'll talk a little bit about why Tertullian, it's, it's debatable why he finished kind of poorly. Uh, he was born in Africa, in Carthage, in a Roman colony. He was what some would call the first Pentecostal. He converted later in life, tried to read what the church was reading. He really tried to get into the history of the church, because at this time, he's, we're into the third century. He tries to get into Second Temple Judaism, and he, he really digs into things. So he's, he can, he's, can do the stuff with the languages that some of these people may not have been able to do. Uh, he tried to articulate many things. We believe that he was probably a lawyer originally based on his upbringing. Um, he was firm into his upper Roman education, so he was a fully educated higher-up Roman when he was converted. He believed heaven and earth intersect at points, which brings us back to that whole Second Temple Judaism, the whole cosmos thing. Um, and he was a firm believer in the spiritual world. Um, Therefore, my blessed ones, a quote from him, whom the grace of God awaits when you ascend from the most sacred font of your new birth, baptism, and spread your hands for the first time in the house of your mother, the church. Also, when we, were, when we referenced the church in a lot of these early quotes, they, they call the church a her, like she, as in like the bride of Christ. That's where that all comes from. So sometimes when they're referring to the church, they, they may say she, they're talking about the church. Uh, together with your brethren, ask from the Father, ask from the Lord, what his own specialties of grace and distributions of gifts may be supplied to you. Ask, says he, and you shall receive. Well, you have been asked and have received. You have knocked and it has been opened to you. Only I pray that when you are asking, you be mindful likewise of Tertullian the sinner. More quotes, but from God who has promised indeed to pour out the grace of the Holy Spirit upon all flesh and has ordained that his servants and his handmaids should see visions as well as utter prophecies, must all these visions be regarded as emanating. And then here talking about Marcion, Marcion was a heretic. He was trying to teach things that were not of God. So he's, again, combating some of the Gnosticism and, and heresies. Let Marcion then exhibit... As gifts of his God, some prophets, such as have spoken by human sense, but with the Spirit of God, such have both predicted things to come and have made manifest the secrets of the heart. Now all these signs of spiritual gifts are forthcoming from my side without any difficulty, and they agree, too, with the rules and the dispensations and the instructions of the Creator. Um, just saying, we're looking at the fruit, of these other people, the fruit of the Spirit. We're looking at the gifts of the Spirit in this other group, and they're not there like they are over here. 
For seeing that we acknowledge spiritual charismata, or gifts, we too have merited the attainment of the prophetic gift. Although coming after John the Baptist, this lady has been favored with the sundry gifts of revelation in both sees and hears mysterious communications. Some men's hearts she understands, and to them who are in need, she distributes remedies. After the people are dismissed at the conclusion of the sacred services, she is in the regular habit of reporting to us whatever things she may have seen in vision. For her communications are examined with the most scrupulous care, in order that their truth may be probed. Now can you refuse to believe this, even in indubitable evidence of every point is forthcoming from your conviction. So again, just more of the gifts continuing to occur. And uh, the reason I, I, I use these guys' quotes is because for the most part, all of Christianity worldwide, again, they're cool with these guys. They agree with what they say. And so none of these guys are really that controversial at all. And so just seeing that they are reporting this, this is primary history, primary historical data. It's coming right from the people seeing it. Um, it's not secondary. Now, to finish up Tertullian, and we're going to talk about this because I think this pertains a little bit to the Charismatics and Pentecostals today, because at the end of the day, there's nothing new underneath the sun. Some of the stuff that we see and have to deal with today, they were seeing and dealing with back then. Tertullian, at the end of his life, started to agree with points of Montanism. And we're going to talk about Montanism. So some people are reluctant. The churches were, were not going to give him sainthood because they're like, oh, it's just a little bit tarnished. People debate how deep into this he got in the end of his life. And he didn't get in the end of his life. Montanism was a movement in the early church, started by a guy named Montanus. Differing accounts state that before his conversion, he was a priest of Apollo. Uh, Montanism held views about the basic tenets of Christianity similar to those of the wider church. So it starts off on the same base as everybody else. Um, but it was labeled a heresy for its belief in new prophetic revelations. And we'll explain that. Montanus had two female colleagues that were also with him, and the three of them went and prophesied together and did their, founded their church together. Um, Priscilla, or Priscilla, who was sometimes called Priscilla, and Maximilla, who likewise claimed the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Their popularity even exceeded Montanus' own, talking about his two uh, helpers. The three spoke in ecstatic visions and urged their followers to fast and to pray so that they may share these revelations. The followers claimed they received the prophetic gift from the prophet, prophets Quadratus, and Amia of Philadelphia. Just names from history. Figures believed to have been part of a line of a prophetic secession stretching all the way back to Agabus. Now, if you remember, Agabus is a famous prophet from the New Testament. Paul deals with Agabus, different people in the church. Agabus seems to be like right on as far as prophetic. Um, so, so they're claiming that the laying on of hands and the transfer of gifts came right from Agabus. So that's just part of the history of that. So what it started off with is we're receiving prophecy, we're receiving directions. It seemed like the normal prophetic gifts of the day, um, but with a higher emphasis on spending more time in the spiritual gifts and with Holy Spirit. And so then it kind of go, it starts to go off the rails. It kind of reminds me of some of our revivals we've had, some of our Pentecostal and charismatic movements we have that start off really good. 
and then it seems like they just, as they go on, sometimes they just kind of get off the rails. And so they claim to be the spiritual people, whereas the rest of Christianity were the carnal people. So there already you start seeing this split in the unity of the body. We're the more spiritual ones. The ones that are not practicing exactly like we practice are the carnal ones. They believe that they would be possessed fully by the Holy Spirit and could not control what the Holy Spirit said or did. We see that now in some Pentecostal and charismatic circles. Some people will get up to prophesy and they'll say things and they go through things and they'll be like, I just can't control it. It's just got to come out. It's, you know, and, and scripture says that, that you're in control. So, and we can talk more about that when we talk about prophecy. So there's this idea that they're just possessed. And you know, if this dude used to be a priest of Apollo, he probably was possessed by Apollo and would prophesy back in the day. So that might be part of what he's bringing into this. Um, That they were vessels, not messengers. Uh, And he, Montanus, became beside himself and this is a quote of people watching him, and being suddenly a sort of frenzy and ecstasy, he raved and began to babble and utter strange things, prophesying in a manner contrary to the constant custom of the church handed down by tradition from the beginning. So that's someone that obviously was critical of him. Followers claimed the revelation received directly from the Holy Spirit could supersede the authority of Jesus or Paul the Apostle or anyone else. In some of the prophecies, Montanus apparently, and somewhat like the oracles of the Greco-Roman world, spoke in the first person as God. He would start off by saying, I am the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. As time went on, things got crazier, and there was more. Um, They began to suspect more and more. It was strange. And Montanus appears to have, he he ends his life hanging himself at the end of his life. Um. The issue with this is that because of where it goes, as opposed to where it started with the spiritual gifts in, in these Montanists, it starts casting some negativity on the spiritual gifts that were normal up until that time. They were normal as of the pe- teachings of Paul. They're passing around Paul's letters. They have their guidelines. They're still judging prophecy. Paul says if prophecies are given in your congregation, you need to judge it. Um, but these guys were like, you can't judge what we're saying. What we're getting is directly. So it just, it, it superimposes beyond uh, what was normal. And some of the things that were the issues with Montanism, you can still see some of these same issues within the Pentecostals and Charismatics. Not all of them by any means, but it, it you still see some of the stuff. You still see the, I'm just possessed by the Holy Spirit and I couldn't help it. I had to say this. I had to blurt this out from the back row. I had to. Um, you still see some of the, um, we need to be going through the prophecies that we've been given more than we're going through the Bible. You see some of this unbalanced stuff. It's nothing new. They were having issues with this almost 2,000 years ago. And so for us, it's just nice to see There's nothing new under the sun. Follow the Bible. Read your Bible. The spiritual gifts are evident in the Bible. So Tertullian, he starts getting in with the Montanist. He's dead before it gets crazy. But because of that, his name kind of gets tarred. And he doesn't get the sainthood that all those other ones did, which is what it is. Next guy I want to look at is Origen. He was born in Egypt. 
He is a prolific writer. He wrote roughly 2,000 treatises in multiple branches of theology, including textual criticism, biblical exegesis and hermeneutics, homiletics and spirituality, a lot of different ways of looking and going through theology. He was kind of the father of that. Um, he sought to be a martyr when young, because all this time you were Christians were being martyred. His dad is getting taken off to get martyred, and he wants to go and be a martyr too. But his mom forbade him not to turn himself in, do not be a martyr, which is good, because we needed him. And Origen founded their Christian school in, Caesar, in Caesarea, where he taught logic, cosmology, natural history, theology, and became regarded as by the churches of Palestine and Arabia as the ultimate authority on all matters of theology. Uh, he ends up being tortured for his faith during the, the Decian persecution in 250, and he died three to four years later from his injuries. The Decian persecution, just for reference, was one of the early waves of persecution that went through. There was a Roman emperor. He said, hey, we are, uh, you're going to sacrifice because I'm like a god. You're going to sacrifice to me. And so he went around in all religious places when they made their sacrifice. Let's go to the temple of Apollo. When you go to the temple of Apollo, the followers of Apollo are going to sacrifice for Apollo. And then besides that, they need to sacrifice to me. And if you don't do that, I'm just going to kill you because I am emperor. And so that's what they did. They went to all the different religious temples, synagogues, whatever. If you chose not to sacrifice the animals to him, um, off with your head, or tortured. So in, the, in, the, in this case, he, he was tortured, he didn't lose his head, or get crucified. Um, so that's kind of what the early church was going through too. Quotes by Origen. When whether by baptism or by grace of the Spirit, the word... Oh, I want to say this is... Now we're getting into the late 3rd century, early 4th century. So we're already progressing hundreds of years before we get into these quotes. And when whether by baptism or by the grace of the Spirit, the word or wisdom or the word of knowledge or of any other gift that has been bestowed upon a man and not rightly administered, either buried in the earth or tied up in a napkin, the gift of the Spirit will certainly be withdrawn from his soul, and the other portion which remains, that is the substance of the soul, will be assigned its place with unbelievers, being divided and separated from the Spirit, with whom by joining himself to the Lord it ought to have been one Spirit. So just talking about where it can go wrong with people and what happens with the spirit if you've gone wrong. Another quote, if one has a spiritual gift, it must be used diligently and in the fear of the Lord. God does not impart his gifts lightly. Each grace entails great responsibility. So with great spiritual gifts comes great responsibility. There are still preserved among Christians traces of the Holy Spirit which appeared in the form of a dove, being metaphorical. They expel evil spirits, perform many cures, and foresee certain events according to the will of the Logos. And what he means by the will of the Logos, at this point, they're still referring to Christ as the Word. So you get the Greek for Word, which is Logos. Uh, and he would respond to different critics of spiritual gifts. Origen had a lot of good thoughts, a lot of things that we still believe today. Also a saint, declared nice by everybody. Um, just briefly hit on Novation. He wasn't quite as... Uh, as prolific as the others. But a quote from him, and you can see that we're in like by the 250s by the time he dies. This is he who places prophets in the church, instructs teachers, directs tongues, gives powers and healings, does wonderful works, often discrimination of spirits, affords powers of government, 
suggests counsels and orders and arranges whatever other gifts there are of the charismata, and thus making the Lord's church everywhere in an all perfected and completed. Cyril of Jerusalem, this will get us into the 300s before we get to Augustine. If you believe you shall only receive, you shall not only receive remission of sins, but also do things which pass man's power and may be worthy of the gift of prophecy also. All your life long will your guardian, the comforter, abide with you. He will care for you as his own soldier for your going outs and your coming ins and your plotting foes. And he will give you the gifts of grace of every kind if you grieve him not by sin. Be ready to receive grace, and when you have received it, cast it not away. So, I mean, it just sounds like stuff that we still talk about even today and that was talked about in the New Testament. If you be counted worthy of the grace, your soul will be enlightened. You will receive a power which you had not. You will receive weapons terrible to the evil spirits, and you will cast not away your arms, but keep the seal upon your soul. No evil spirit will approach you, for he will be cowed. For verily by the Spirit of God are the evil spirits cast out. So we just continue to see this stuff going on. Now we're going to get to the point where we'll talk about the history of the breaking, and then we'll talk about kind of the thoughts on spiritual gifts in the modern church. Uh, Augustine of Hippo, everybody, if you've had to take any kind of Western, you get Augustine. He's the original sin guy. He does all this stuff. He kind of, he, he gets put in regular uh, philosophy classes and stuff too, not just theology. Uh, he was born to a Christian mother and a pagan father. He studied and followed Neoplatonism until his conversion. He's considered the second most important figure in West, Western Christianity after Paul. Um, Catholics really like St. Augustine and his teachings. Um, the Eastern Orthodox, not so much. But for us, in a Western world, Augustine is very critical, especially just even in philosophy of Western culture. Um, he never learned Greek, which was always an issue for him because having access to the letters being passed around, he never got it. So he believed spiritual gifts had been dissolved until later on in his life when he published Retractions. Actually, at, towards the end of his life, he's like, you know what? I've wrote a lot of things. I've got a lot of things wrong. And as I've grown, I've kind of seen some stuff. So he published a paper essay, if you will. We would call it an essay called Retractions. He pushed the, original, the concept of original sin. He foresaw the need of the church to separate from the state later. Augustine was about the spread of Christianity, and he kind of partnered up with this new church organization. And then early on, he saw what was starting to happen with the church and state combination, and he backed off, also part of his retractions. Uh, something must be said about Augustine, who early in his ministry espoused cessationism. So he was against the gifts of the Spirit early in his career. Uh, he was, very, like I said, he was a very Western mindset. He had kind of taken that away. The church will thrive. The church will program and spread. Um, especially with the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues really, really got to him for whatever reason. Could be, I believe, earlier in his life, he got caught up in some spiritualism. And so it could be some really bad experiences with that. However, in his later writings, he retracted his denial of the ongoing reality of the miraculous and carefully documented no fewer than 70 instances of divine healing in his own diocese during a two-year span. You can read his books about it. After describing numerous miracles of healing and even resurrections from the dead, Augustine writes, 
What am I to do? I am so pressed by the promise of finishing this work that I cannot record all the miracles that I know. And doubtless several of our adherents, when they read what I have narrated, will regret that I have admitted so many of which they, as well as I, certainly know. Even now I beg these people to excuse me and to consider how long it would take me to relate all of those miracles which the necessity of finishing the work I have undertaken forces me to admit. Again, writing his retractions at the close of his life, close of his life in ministry, he concedes that tongues and more spectacular miracles, such as people being healed by the mere shadow of Christ's presence, or the, the shadow of Christ's preachers, like the, the Peter shadow healing that happened additionally, they pass by have ceased. He then says, though, but what I, what I said should not be understood that as no miracles should be believed in or to be performed these days in Christ's name. For I myself, when I was writing this very book, knew a blind man who had been given his sight in the same city near the bodies of the martyrs of Milan. I knew of some other miracles as well. So many of them occur even in these times that we would be unable either to be aware of all of them or to number those which we are aware. Augustine feeds in nicely to the the Nicene Council, the Council of Nicaea. And we're not going to focus on that too much, but it changes Christianity and it changes the recognition of the, the, the works of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Dr. Sam Storms, who is a guy I like to listen to and read once in a while, his quote is, the various compromises and accommodations to the wider culture that infiltrated the church, subsequent to the formal legalization of Christianity under Constantine, drove many of the more spiritually minded leaders into the desert. The Catholic Church begins to espouse that the gifts were for the clergy only. So what happens, and they, soon no one could read their Bible in their own language because everything is Latinized. So what happens is you have, a body of, you have a church like ours where we can read the Bible in our own language and the gifts are spread amongst us and we're all exhibiting that. Everything gets a formal hierarchy. And then you're not allowed to read the Bible. So what happens is in generations, the only Bible you're getting is read in Latin. You lose touch with the scriptures, the spiritual gifts. What is, you know, what are the spiritual gifts? You lose that. And for a long time in history, you've lost it. Now, this is a very Western look. On an Eastern look, the Eastern Orthodox Church are still practicing at this time. Um, so you, it, it changes. Things change. And I won't get into the, the Council of Nicaea too much, but they, there's a lot of different things that happen in there. They, get, uh, they, they codify what we would call our New, New Testament. They decide what's in the New Testament, what's not. Um, so that's when you get your, you got your Catholic New Testament, which is uh, the Catholic Bible is a little different than ours. We, I think our, our New Testament is basically the same. There's some added books that they kept um, in the, in the Old Testament, which is not necessarily a bad thing. They chose to keep them. Um, but that's, you start getting that out of this. Um, so now we're going to focus on today. What does all this mean? We just went through 500 years. We're up to about 500 AD. A lot of things happened from 500 AD to the Reformation. Um, I just don't have time for it. We're just not there with it. What I want to talk about is this whole idea of continuationism, the fact that we still experience these spiritual gifts, or cessationism, these spiritual gifts are gone. Um, continuationism is a Christian theological belief that the gifts of the Holy Spirit have continued to the present, present age, specifically those sometimes called the sign gifts, 
such as tongues and prophecy. Tongues and prophecy tend to be the controversial gifts throughout all of history. That's just what it is. So um, cessationism is a Christian theological belief that the spiritual gifts have ceased with the apostolic age. And as we'll talk about, there's, there's some change to this now that we've dug up some of these books. Um, continuationism versus cessationism. There is a spectrum. There are people that are not polar opposites. There's people that are in between. Um, you can be an outright cessationist. There's nothing left of the spiritual gifts. Holy Spirit is doing nothing like that anymore. The only thing that the Holy Spirit does now is help you read your Bible, and that's it. There are people that, that believe that. Um, there's open or cautious continuationist. I'd say a lot of America is open or cautious continuationist. They believe in some miracles. They'll believe that God can give you promptings, but they don't believe it's a regular practice. And then you have the Pentecostals and the Charismatics and what they now call the third wave. And they believe, like, it's all on. It's, it's all opened up. We still have access to everything. Um, but even in Pentecostals, Charismatics, and third waves, there's, there's a continuation spectrum. So it, it's hard. No one needs to, we don't need to pigeonhole people, really. It's just there's, there's a whole spectrum there. Uh, cessationism came out in the Reformation age as an attempt. This is a crazy sentence. As an attempt to counter a Catholic anti-Reformation counter. So let me explain that. Calvin, back with the Reformation. You have Luther with starting the the Reformation. Other people were involved. Calvin starts putting some theology behind this Reformation. It's where we get Reformed theology. Calvin says, I don't agree with the Catholic Church. Luther says they don't agree with the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church says, but... You guys may not have to agree with us, but we're still experiencing miracles and signs. The sign gifts and miracles, we're still seeing them. So obviously there's still something good in us, is what they're saying. Kelvin fires back. Kelvin's like, nope. Nope, I don't agree with you, Catholic Church. Therefore, all the things that you are experiencing are false because I'm going to theologically say that the gifts ended with the apostles. Calvin does not have access, and this isn't Calvin's fault. It's just what he lived. He didn't have access to all these writings of the fathers. He only had some. He didn't have access to all this stuff. So I'm not downing Calvin. I think Calvin, I don't know. I don't know him. He's dead. He is going against the Catholic Church. So he's just spouting stuff off against the Catholic Church. Instead of saying, you know what? Maybe some of those things are genuine, but I still believe this. There is no coexistence. People just fought. And then people had to kill each other, too, because that's just what we did back then, too. So, so that's where the word and the whole like, theological framework of cessationism comes from. It comes out of the Reformation. Up until then, people believed miracles and signs and gifts still happened. They may not happen as much as in the early church, but they realized that they were still happening. Uh, the Catholic Church, like I said, Calvin says they're false anyway. It's all false after the apostles. You can see the divide and split among these lines today. Reformed theology-based churches still strictly adhere to what Calvin writes for the most part. Again, there's a spectrum with Reformed theology. Non-Reformed Protestant churches, which would be your, your probably most of your baseline evangelical churches, including your Charismatics and your Pentecostals, are at least cautious continuationists. They believe some of this stuff is still going on. Um, understand that in the last hundred years, 
We've got a vast amount of primary sources that are uncovered of early church fathers. We have all this stuff that's coming up. We're finding the scrolls. We're finding the papers. We're finding all that. So what happened with cessationism is on more of the academic side, cessationism developed a sliding scale. So if you're a firm Reformed person, you like Kelvin, and Kelvin's saying, hey, apostles is when it died out. But now we're reading these books, and our early church fathers, who we take all their theology, and we're fine with that, they say it's still going on. Okay, so, so maybe it wasn't when the apostles died. We'll say that the gifts ended after the Council of Nicaea. Once we had the Bible, we didn't need the gifts anymore. So they slid the scale over. And then we have a theory that the gifts remains until we had the full canon and until 1787. So you slide it over a little bit more. And so it kind of has changed for them. So depending on who you talk to with cessationist stuff, it, it differs based on where it ended. So um, people in town that may not agree with spiritual gifts, it's going to end differently for different groups, depending usually on the age of the person you're talking to and the education of the person you're talking to. Um, from the start, nearly all beliefs were in the continuation of the gifts. Again, the Eastern Orthodox Church, other churches outside of the Catholic Church believed in it. Even the Catholic Church believed in the gifts, but only for the uppers. Um, just stays the same. We can still be friends. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we cannot leave unity out of this. The idea is that the Holy Spirit is in all of us. He's going to do what he wants to do, and we need to be united in that. It doesn't mean that we all have to think the same way. Topics like Trinity, salvation by faith alone, Christ's substitutionary atonement, the virgin birth, sinlessness of Christ, Christ's death, Burial, resurrection, ascension, and futurely body return. Those are primary issues. Nearly all of us in the Christian church all believe close to the same thing on that. Those are primary issues. There are secondary issues. People would say that cessationism, continuationism, is a secondary issue. This is not something to fight over. This is not something to break over with other churches. If, if we're doing a missions thing in our town, we should be able to join up with people if we're all aligned on the primary issues. If they don't want to believe in the spiritual gifts, does that mean that we can't feed the poor together? That's just silly. And so that's where we're at. Um, there was a list by the Barna Church Group, and they did a survey, and it was very astounding. This was 17, 2017, uh, 56 of the people say that Jesus is not the only way, which is Gnosticism, which is like 2,000 years ago. Jesus was created by God, 73%. It's an old Aryan heresy that Jesus was not fully God, 43%. Holy Spirit is a force, not a personal being, 60% of the, this is the evangelical church believing this, and that people are just good by nature, 57%. So that's kind of where we're at in thought within the church, uh, the evangelical church. Obviously, this would change if you go to a different country or church group. Can't see all this stuff, but this is just an example. This is just among conservative Christianity. There's a list of theological debate. There's a list of how many generalized options, not many options, but generally giant options. When you take the number of options and you go all the way down, just on these secondary Bible issues, 
depending on how you believed on each of them, there's a possibility that you have one of 248,832 possibilities. Okay, that's a lot of possibilities. Just having a different mix of those things. For example, like day of worship, we're going to do it Sunday, Saturday, or every day is worship. Are we Calvinist, Arminian, or some kind of mix? Do we believe infants should be baptized? Do we believe believers should be baptized? You throw all those different things in there, people pick different things. There's like 249,000 different options of what you could believe by picking. That's a lot. It's a lot of secondary issue stuff. This wasn't even, there's a bigger list of uh, ethical debate, which was listed, and it ends up getting into like 9 billion something different combinations of all of these together. It's ridiculous. There's a spectrum of what people believe that are not primary issues. What we've just been talking about with the gifts of the Spirit is a secondary issue. We can feel very strongly about it. I feel very strongly about continuationism. That doesn't mean that I can't do things with other people or serve with other people, all of that stuff. Have friends that don't believe that. It's healthy to have friends that aren't just groupthink. It's crazy the amount of different things. The view of creation, young earth, old earth, theistic evolution. We could go split people down and people, I mean, I've seen fights over that stuff. People tear churches apart over these things. Baptism, do you immerse someone? Do you sprinkle them or do you pour? There are church splits over these things. Unity is disrupted. Unity is of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says church be united. Secondary issues. This is a secondary issue, everything we've been talking about. So I just think that we need to have a case for what we believe, but it's not to, to badger people. To summarize the last three weeks, the Holy Spirit is a person. He is God. He can do what he wants. He was existent with Yahweh and Jesus from the beginning. He was not an add-on later like some people like to suppose. Scripture is cohesive on who he is and how he operates. His gifts match things he gifted before the Acts 2 Pentecost. The gifts are for the benefit of his kingdom. The gifts continue on after the death of the apostles. Evidence of him and you are the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts that he gives you. He is here to help and bring us together. Wherever we fall on this spectrum, we are still one body. Do you feel like those are takeaways? Do you feel like we've seen that? You could go on with different stories of the Holy Spirit, what he did in his movements. For those thousand years we don't normally think about, there's still amazing things going on. They're out there. Um, We just didn't have time for it. We just had to bring it home. So we're going to talk about fruit of the Spirit. I I think that's the next thing. But... So I just encourage you, as, we, as we've talked about this stuff, as we think about this stuff, I hope that we can talk amongst it with other believers. Um, I hope that we have a good basis for this. There, there is crazy stuff out there. As we've seen, there's crazy stuff from 2,000 years ago with abuse of the spiritual gifts. And it happens, but you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's... It's woven in through our history. It's woven in our scriptures. We've seen this. We've seen the teachings of our forefathers. Um, So I just encourage that as we go in and we start talking about specific gifts, that at least we feel we have a basis, we have a biblical basis um, to look at these and be open to experiencing these things.
So, he is good. He's going to bring good things. Um, Father doesn't give you bad gifts. So, so let's pray. Jonathan, are we doing a last song? All right. We'll pray. We'll do a last song. And if anybody needs to get prayer, we'll be available for prayer. Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank you for being you, the you of eternity, the you that doesn't change. We love you. Again, we're amazed that you want to live within us, that you put up with all of our stuff. We thank you that you continue to do those things that you've done. We thank you that you are the expert of those things. And I just ask that you would teach us how to follow your leading and listen to you better. That we would be able to show the world who you are too. That when we preach the gospel of Jesus and they learn about Jesus, when we admonish Yahweh as creator, Father as creator, that we would, through us and our actions, people could say, I see Holy Spirit. I see the personhood of Holy Spirit through the things that we're doing with you so that you're all lifted high. So Holy Spirit, in this week that we go out, just, just give us leading. Help us to dwell on what you want. Help us to, to remember to have conversations with you to get to know you better. We thank you for living inside us. So we just appreciate and love you, Holy Spirit. We thank you for everything. In your name we pray. Amen.